mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. Oh, I'm so excited. I am here with what I would say is one of my top five interviews, interviewees. Like if I had a top five of people I would like to speak with on the Conservative Hippie Podcast, I've got one of them right here today, and I'm so excited. I've got Johnny Vendmore. If you're not familiar with Johnny Vendmore, he's kind of a a writer, a researcher, a journalist, an advocate, an activist. I mean, he's a little bit of everything wrapped into one human package. I'm going to introduce him now. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show. I couldn't be happier to be here. That's uh, one hell of an intro, intro for me there. Thank you. Uh, I, 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 do, I, I did fear when I was younger that I would always be a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, but I, I, I don't think mastering anything is necessary uh, in what we're doing at the moment. It's being able to spread uh, fact and information, being able to get out there, um, being able to interact with society and culture, uh, with people, actual individuals, um, and not treat everybody as like a homogenous group. Um, having these conversations is really, really important. So happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And I, 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 I've I, often felt the same way about, boy, I'm into so many things. I'm passionate about so many things. I participate in so many things, and I've yet to master any of them. Uh, so here, yeah. here, here we are just trying. Um, I want to—I don't want to get the, uh, the entire timeline of your life, but I was introduced to you when, I, when I'm out there taking this fire hose of information to the face, as I've done for many years now. Um, I always appreciate— appreciate information when it's when it's a little bit different than what I normally see and the investigation and the research goes to that next level um, and I came across you because you were trying I mean I, I can't remember where I found you if it was on Twitter or whatever blog you were writing at that time but you were trying to investigate and get to the bottom of some nefarious characters that surround what what the the mainstream media was talking about where where have you gone before we get into what you are writing about where have you gone with this journey how did you become this this independent researcher journalist and share share with people kind of the progression of where you are today from from then starting and where you are today Okay, I, I you know as I as uh, answer go to answer this, I have to say that like it, it brings up uh, powerful emotions because uh, all of these type of things. If you if you're going to go into something like this, if you're going to investigate people like this, you have to have had a, a strong emotional um, journey. You will have had to have something in your life, I believe anyway, that has caused you to have to stand up and say no more. And um and I I I I would say that I had hard. All throughout my life, I don't want to whine and 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 go on. I, I mean, my, my life 
it was both uh it was both things it was like i had so much love around me and i had so much anger around me i had so much happiness around me and i had so much sadness around me i grew up in um an alternative way of living to an extent and in normal life because i i was brought up in a society which is like um, a reenactment society over in america you have the civil war reenactors over here we got something called the sealed knot which is like uh it, it, at the time it would be like eight thousand people on a battlefield fighting in 17th century uh costume uh, with cannons going off and muskets and people fighting with swords you go away all weekend everybody from all around the country who you know goes to all of these different places around the country and 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 it was a very alternative way of living and then in the weekdays i spend my time living normally in school uh, not reliving my my weekend uh, uh like sort of uh frivolity and all of the the experiences i had because no one in the normal world or the the, the other world that i was living in could really could really um and I, it's a pun to say muster uh, but muster the idea of what i was experiencing on the other side because being in a reenactment society my dad was a uh, commanding officer and it meant that we had a regiment of like 150 very close 150 to 200 very close people who would always be camping together who would all get to know each other who would all be a, a, um, a family and I was brought up in that sort of atmosphere of um, freedom fields being able to roam as children all together without parents or anything around in a safe uh, a fairly safe environment it wouldn't be safe eventually for me I mean I, I got groomed in that same society um, which is part of the reason why I was led down this road because um, my my experience was um, I when I was about nine ten eleven someone within this uh, society decided that I was going to be a target for his attention um, uh, and he was a very nasty man um, I he, uh, asked me to do all sorts of things um, I managed to avoid he used to come around my house and pretend he was coming to see my father and all of this sort of stuff um, it was a terrible time I ended up going uh, telling my mum after a year and a half uh, they went to the police and then the police told us that he had molested um, a boy who was three and a half uh, during that year that I hadn't said anything year and a half that he had been grooming me. Wow. And I felt a complete and a, a full, heavy burden of responsibility uh, about the age of 10, 11, uh, for a three and a half year old who has stayed three and a half in my mind for the rest of my life and will always remain. I never, you know, you in these sort of things, I had to go to one of those. Uh, it all went to court. He got convicted. He got six months probation um, for molesting a child at that age, just completely and utterly uh, ruining uh, a, a life there uh, to an extent. I don't know. I don't know if the kid went on and actually, you know, managed to get over those guys, if he even remembers them at all, you know. Um, but for me, it was all very like I had to go through the process of giving evidence uh, to the police in one of those, you know, uh, rooms with mirrors and there's cameras behind the mirrors and and in a secret building and and tell all. Tell all of the the, the the thing go through the court case he um eventually he, he went probation and then the police just left the support just went away and this guy just joined the same society again and um and the police wouldn't do anything no one would do anything he was just allowed to continue hanging around by me and my friends and it changed my whole understanding of what the system was and what protection was what trust was and i think i mean i don't blame my 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 
parents for this uh, at all because I mean no one was aware or able to handle these sort of things especially not in the uh, late 80s early 90s you know it was like there was a lot of there was just people used to hide these things a lot of the time my parents did a lot to try and get justice for me you know they they went to the police they did all of that work they got me to a point but after about a year obviously the psychological problems weren't going there's no way i was going to get any help and um their approach was just uh, telling me that in no way am i allowed to ever talk about that again and so from that point on i was just in a I, i was taken aside you know told very firmly never am i allowed to mention you know don't talk about it. Not am I allowed to bring it up or anything like that. I just got to stay. And it was, it, that is why I investigate today. That led me on to years of fear, anxiety, mistrust, um, uh, not being able to, to, to uh, uh, accept the narrative a lot of the time because I knew that, that these organizations, these um people like police and social services they were they were human beings who were going to try and just get on with their work and ignore the people who really needed to support and help and you know if it was like that for me what was it like for a three and a half year old you know that always stayed with me so so by the time i got up to uh i'd say about 34 35 i wasn't having a good time um in life generally i i mean i'd i'd had really loads of good experiences i'd gone out i'd been a musician for for quite a while i was really i mean if i look back on that time i was just taking drugs all the time playing rock and roll you know it was a proper proper rock lifestyle it was just really and, and it and it got down to the bottom as well where i had people who around me who were pretending to be my friends they were acting like my friends and they were slowly making me a drug addict and it, it was like uh in in about um 2013 2014 it had gone from uh people giving me um a little valium here and there uh a little like weak cocodamol or solpidol uh, solpidol um to to going up i was on morphine i was taking morphine and i was being sick i didn't like it and yet I still took it and I was still sick and I was going for a cycle where I realized I was just like well into the process. I had been taking pills, various pills for about five, six years, um, sort of like escape different types of pain. And so I had to come out of that. I, I knew I had to sort out my life. You know, when you get to suicide on one of the most, most uh, like one of the biggest points that I got to was uh, just where I realized that if I, continue not to say all of the things that because i was already investigating stuff and i was scared to say anything i was scared to say it out loud because i knew what attention would come from these people these characters who you investigate no i'd already started looking into these people and the fear had built up alongside all of this tragedy from the past and all of these un un un, uh, these things i hadn't sorted out for my own life and um and they all climaxed in the point where i decided well there's no way i'm going to commit suicide I mean, that's out of the question for me. I'm just so like, I, I, I just want to taste the next thing, you know, it's, it's, I, I've got a first for life. So I, there's no way I want to commit suicide. So if I'm not going to commit suicide, I may as well get killed. So I may as well just uh, start reporting on the people I'm not allowed to report on. 
start bringing out the evidence that I'd already been working on and keep going down that route and get better at it and learn how to expose the people that everybody else are doing what the police did to me and many other kids all through their history and many other people all through history where they put them to the side and they say, okay, that now we've got justice for that. Let's go on to the next thing. And they don't change anything. They don't sort anything out. And when you say about it, they cover things up. Okay. They okay. They hide things. Okay. Let me interrupt at this point. You you went on. Okay. Take a deep breath. Relax. Now, what I heard there is that you had a very unique upbringing that gave you a different perspective. You were able to experience different perspectives at a very young age of what is possible in life and seeing different organizations. Then you had a traumatic experience that broke trust, placed responsibility. Um, In some ways, the lesson was shame for you, but not shame for the perpetrator in in what was the lesson from society. And this brought up later in life, um, well, not later in life, but throughout your life, a kind of an intrigue... um, a curiosity, if you will, because you had a unique perspective, seeing things from different, uh, almost almost like uh, the word panopticon is used, the word matrix is used. Yeah. You, from a very young age, you almost had a tutorial in seeing from, be, from around the prison walls or through the matrix, if you will. And it, that led to this thirst to look deeper, to dig deeper within society and these levels or layers that were available. For for many in in many ways you're you're spot on there. I mean, my drive has been has been from the negative experience from my uh, experiences from my youth, um, because I mean I I, I say I I thought it, it seems so simple and easy to sum up when I sum it up how I did, but in between there there were loads of different experiences and loads of different really negative um, experiences and extremely positive experiences, um, and I I. I decided very early on that I had to keep like I I was an I was a naughty kid and I was a nice kid. I would help people on the bus and I would go into the chip shop for the person in a wheelchair or whatnot. You know, I was always uh, really wanted to be kind, but I would also uh, break into to places with my mates and I would commit all sorts of trouble and set things on fire. And, you know, there, there was there was always a split down me. There was always one that was anarchy and one which was kind of like, uh, which was with everybody, of course, uh, but one which was very much uh, focused focus on trying to get justice for something that I, when I was young, I didn't really know what, what it was. I didn't really know that I was on this journey and that this was uh, fundamentally going to ch- make, uh, be such a big part of me until I was probably about 23. And I was like already breaking, like already broken. I mean, you, 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 it, it's been, a, it's a hard world to get to, to know yourself in any way. It's a hard world. And I understand I, I look back and I see that guy in the past, uh, the, the guy who, who did that stuff. And, it, you know, after I after he went back to, to Seal Knot and he was around all of the time, he was also, I heard from my sister who worked in a local supermarket, he was hanging outside the, the boys' toilets there. You know, the, the, these people uh, were all around us. And my mum also started working in um, 
Clifton Street Police Station. She was um, a, a, a traffic warden, and uh, she she started working at the police station. And they they were telling her who the paedophiles were um, in the area, and she said they were hanging out on every street corner. It was like she'd walk down the street and all of the people hanging out there were all of the the known pedophiles to the police. And they were all waiting for, for their opportunity. And that, like, that idea that there's it's so much worse than it is and etc stayed with me and caused me great anxiety for years and years and, and, and with all of these things i think all uh, uh, people who investigate these um controversial issues dangerous issues um uh, they've all been through an experience where they've got to a point which is uh, equivalent or near to suicide and they've realized that there's no way they can possibly do that they're gonna have to do the other thing which is fight yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, I found you out there fighting with your writing. Another person I actually found after you is a character by the name of Whitney Webb. And I would see her in videos, and she was giving information that I had not come across. She was in so deep. Um, she was the first person that, that told me um, that Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, was actually a part of and working with Operation Warp Speed. She's giving all of this information about the modern technocracy. Um, mm -hmm. Then... All of a sudden, these two investigative researchers that I had found through different methods, different ways, they almost merged within the last year. And this is, again, me from yeah. an outside perspective, a reader, a participant, a consumer of, of your work. And, and it was very strange. I was like, oh, you know, and I've been chatting with you for some time now. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Johnny is coming up in his profile. And now all of a sudden Whitney Webb is kind of supporting. And can you tell me a little bit about how, how you and Whitney kind of came e across each other's paths mm -hmm. and, and how that partnership of research has, has kind of worked? Well, she is uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, I had discovered Whitney Webb I, I, due to my work on NJ, uh, Miss Nicole Youngerman, who we shouldn't get into in this one, otherwise your podcast will disappear off the face well, of the no, earth. No, we are is... we are going to get into that because that's how I found you. But, but, <laughs> okay. but let's keep uh, it right. keep it with the personal for now, and everybody don't, stay don't, tuned. Don't put it in the title. Don't okay. put it in the title. Don't put it in the show notes. Oh, it gets deleted from the, the history. <laughs> But but I I I there was I'd been I'd been on the Epstein hunt for a long time. Um, I, I had started back when the first sort of uh, words were coming out in the about 2010, 2011 was when I really started to get really interested in it. Um, I spent a lot of time researching this stuff, and research then had I had no intention of writing a blog or writing an article or doing anything like that. I just I I wanted to know and I wanted to see, and then maybe I could tell someone. Maybe look, look, I found one thing. Look, I, I, I can. And after a while, I realized that from watching people um, scramble around, no one really knew ever anything because no one had, had put it together logically. No one had, had, had kind of started to um, look at the evidence that was available because there was so much evidence available. And in through that, I, I, I in through that, through 
examining the evidence in different ways, so examining the flight manifest for the so-called Lolita Express. I was able to come across Nicole Yunkerman, who's uh, obviously uh, flew alone with Epstein, uh, which is a real anomaly because he always flew with an entourage or he used a plane to bring other people to him and he wouldn't be on there. Mm-hmm. And so that anomaly made me investigate her further. I can't. So sorry. Go on. Wait, wait, wait a minute, because we're gonna get to that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you yeah. down that thread. I, I want to stay with, I'm, I want to stay with the the personal side of Johnny Venmore to begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I'm, 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 I'm coming. I'm coming. Honestly, um, but okay. with all of that, with all of the Yunkerman stuff, basically, uh, it led me into that world where I had to investigate the same people, and of course, that meant uh, I'd already been a fan of the Corbett Report. I'd already been a fan, a really big fan of Media Monarchy. Really like listening to the music that James Evans Lato puts out there um, and so that had, uh, had also opened up my mind to other information uh, that 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 led me to uh, see Whitney Webb um, on various podcasts and she was one of the most impressive ladies I think I've ever uh, come across to be perfectly honest um, the the it, 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 I have to admit that like there was a point where I was like I can't watch her because she's so right and she's so good that it makes me like ashamed that I'm not doing more and I'm not able to have this sort of output. She is just like a, a whirlwind. Her, um, her and, intelligence, her intelligence oozes. It, it just it comes yeah. out whether you you know people talk about auras, uh, people talk about oh this chap is well spoken. Whitney Webb seems to have an entire package of well spoken, uh, very intelligent, an excellent memory, and. Um, balls balls of steel yeah yeah and- yeah yeah she has got balls balls massive balls <laughs> i can tell you that girl's got massive balls um so so i i had i had come across a piece of information on the second young coming article i did um that i i'm i'm i'll tell you out loud on on the show that i never said to anybody i was interested in finding out anybody who might know more information so yeah that was the initial reason when i contacted whitney webb before we started working together it was about um a computer desk in it was reported that in foxcote house mansion of les wexner in the uk there was a specially made um computer desk uh that fitted all of the monitors and stuff that they would use to watch all the cameras around the house including in the guest rooms etc and uh was obviously uh, specially made for the uh for the 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 whatever operation they were doing because Jeffrey Epstein had an exact copy of one in um, Virgin Islands um, or uh, where I think it was out there, but he had an exact copy of one. And these things are not, you can't find them around. They're very uh, unique design. One of them was put up in the mail and and then the, the picture was deleted. Um, and it seems like it was built for like the, a, a, a selection of of these uh, units must have been built especially for these sort of compromise operations um, to house this sort of stuff when there was no sort of things available for that. Um, so I was interested to find out if she knew anybody who might know anybody about a closet. Uh, mm. And uh, and um, basically we had we had a, a long conversation about young command and stuff. Um, I can't, I you know, I can't remember how we 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 got working together, but it, it was like um, it was obvious. It was obvious we were. I I have to say though that we, me and Whitney, even though we've 
we merged very much in the past year in what we're writing about that was much more uh, me diverting than it was her she's on a very uh, straight stream I'm very much one of the things I like doing is going into people's family histories yes. um, and back in time so so with with Whitney's stuff is a lot different um, and really uh, getting involved in that was um, it, it, it helped in the fact that we got into the Klaus Schwab stuff. So I was able to go through fam Schwab family values um, and the Mencius Mobug article that I brought out. But a lot of the stuff that I was writing, I had to adapt what I did completely because I had really little experience and she was a fantastic guide to it all. She was a fantastic help. She didn't get involved in the actual, like my articles were my own, you know, uh, she didn't get involved in the, the process of research. She did some uh, check in a course verification thing, but she would help in how I structured the article and very much in, in the areas where I was uh, at the weakest. And she's very good at doing that. Uh, she, she has a very small team, uh, a very uh, small team, just a couple of people who, who help her out. Um, she does a, a lot of work for that. Her ability to retain knowledge is just unbelievable. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it, it, it became obvious she needed uh, help with stuff uh, over in Chile, went over uh, to Chile. So me and Whitley have um, uh, 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 like uh, – relationship where we've worked together and a relationship where we've lived together for a little bit um she's a a, a wonderfully uh intelligent lady um she's a fantastic mother i can tell you that for sure um she's on a journey that no one can stop um she's a special lady uh support her work absolutely you know, that's all i can say support her work whatever happens other because uh, me and uh, talking about uh me and whitney's relationship of course uh borders on personal lines for me um to some sort of uh, for some uh, other reasons um because uh, i i've loved her in many different ways she's a lovely person as well let, she's a, a real kind soul let me ask you this because you know i have found both of you and and i i'm just going to reiterate everything you said um her work if i were to explain it differently her work go goes more into uh corporate structure and people within mm -hmm. like foundations and ngos and those connections whereas you really like to delve into people themselves and their personal connections and their familial yeah. connections. And it's it's just very fascinating, both aspects. One thing that, that I've found in consuming Whitney's work and um, that I uh, I grew tired of, uh, it, it, it her her dynamism uh, wore on me in some ways because everything she talks about is so negative and the accuracy of her information is amazing and nobody else is reporting on these aspects mm -hmm. that are so important to our society. But it's a drain. It's an absolute drain of negativity. And how do you deal with that when you are submerged in a world of negativity? You're reporting on it and your voice <laughs> You know, it, it should be. As, this is these are the topics that should be on it, television and radio. And Whitney's continuing to go into these topics, and it's it's negative all the time. How do you personally deal with that? That's one of the most cut in and uh, questions that I think have 
had so far on any podcast because really um i don't think people do i think we all all of us in the independent media however much we pretend all the people reporting on these things not necessarily all the people in the end all the people who are, uh, are, are putting their time into record a report about some of the most negative stuff um that that affects you that affects you that's why um for me like when i say i merged into that world um for a bit it's because i i did a i started doing articles on on a lot of the, the these on the same sort of stuff that whitney does and it is depressing all of the time and it does have an emotional toll a real emotional and psychological toll on on you it just can't you just cannot surround yourself with that negativity and for it not to have an emotional toll so how do you uh, how do you combat that uh, honestly? Because like I had to pull back from some of my consumption of Whitney's reporting because I don't have the brain space to follow and track everything she's just pouring out. I mean, every time I think, yeah, one of the things she's doing, one of the things, and I think the most important thing is. This is us documenting evidence that will be then available for people in the future um, to pour through like a filing system, you know? Okay. This is like, if this information doesn't get put out there um, by someone, then everybody else who's investigating these things are going to miss the links, going to miss the connections, are going to miss the people who are working with the people. And what she's doing is extremely brave, maybe foolhardy. You know, um, she's going in, she's going up against some of the biggest people and she she knows what, what you know, she knows how hard these people are. But in the same sense, you know, she's had, she's had life experience as well where she's had to say right toughen up go on fight them rather than the run away you know and this is what she does but whitney does it with the biggest people you know she 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 goes she goes after the top dogs and it's uh it's pretty impressive um but yeah i i don't think there's uh i don't think there's a combatant strategy uh it's hard it's really hard <laughs> it's really hard um one of the things is to have a good family life, try and keep your food consumption up, take care of the vitamins and, and stuff like this, uh, you know, do all of the normal things and try to remain psychologically healthy. But I can tell you from my point of view that every now and again, I've got to take a good break like I have recently um, because otherwise my mind spirals into somewhere else. You know, it's, it's, it, you can't wake up every day and then, you'll have normal things happen in your life. You know, the normal bills come through the door, the normal uh, debt or tax you've got to pay and the normal worries. Um, and on top of that, if you've taken on too much, it really does, it does, it bows you. Okay, so, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Whit Whitney is taking on a lot of these big names, big people, big structures. You <laughs> are taking on almost secret, almost hidden characters people yeah. that are protected by the veil and i'm curious because that is that is um you know it's a toss-up which one is more dangerous have you ever been personally attacked or do you have a story about a way in which your um your research was being held back thwarted or you personally um you know yeah. I don't want to, attack is a strong word um censored yeah. Yeah, uh, well, if if you want censorship, then yeah, I, I mean, I I was aware I, I I was aware straight away that I was entering into. I mean, 
it was obvious that this whole fake news idea and all of this stuff um, was coming. It was obvious this was coming. And as I was uh, slowly progressing in my ability to investigate, report, uh, write articles and document things properly, that noise become louder. And I think it was about probably um, uh, 2017, 2018, where I realized, okay, well, I'm going to have to go up against Nicole Youngkerman soon. So I had, I had already, my first big article that had come out um, was in about 2016, just before the general elections in the UK. And it was about Theresa May's father um, and his history, um, which was ex- is extremely fascinating. He worked with a serial killer called John Bodkin Adams, um, who got off. The establishment helped him get off. Surprise, surprise. And he killed over 130 people, including a very famous actress. Um, and everybody knows he killed them. They, they, they all knew, but they just covered it up like they do. Wow. Um, and and yeah, and her, her father worked with him while he was in the hospital, killing his patients on purpose. He was like the original Harold Shipman, or you know, Doctor Death, um, or at least the nineteen twenties and thirties, forties version, nineteen forties version. Um, so the the first article I had done that had got some sort of traction was that, and and I I got like only a little kick, bit of kickback from that, but it it went fairly big it was it, it had a, a a good response but something held it back from uh, getting any public traction on any news any official media any official podcast i realized then that realm is not for me they're not going to publish my work on all of that stuff so i kind of didn't worry about whether i'd be censored and it was only with the uh writing and nicole Youngerman stuff that i actually i i felt the kickback um start uh and so many things she when i went up against um nicole Youngerman, my first two articles came within about a month and a half two months of each other um because they were very very linked you know one was like oh look at this woman who's you know involved in fever corruption and involved in uh, Epstein stuff and as the shady business with the, the, the with Ehud Barak, the, the ex-prime minister of, of Israel and oh my god, this is this is all amazing. But then there was the second one which was like, oh look at the, the mansion they went to, they met the two senators, all very interesting. I had a, you know, it was all it, it was obvious that she was going to come back at me at some point. And it, it started with the podcasts I did or any of the reports I did, any talking I did online was taken off. If it had Nicole Youngerman's name in the title or the uh, description, it would come off. And I eventually got told by someone who was working on one of those micro job sites, micro task sites, um, that they were actually employed to look for Nicole Youngerman's name on the search engine, go through it, note them all down, see if there's anything that's negative, and then report the negative things. And then they would have the solicitors remove those negative things. So it's like a real, like uh, a proper they've got a proper mechanism for um, going through and getting normal people, paying normal people minimum wage to help censor their, their work. Um, I, all of the podcasts got taken down, some by court order. So I did uh, Ed Operman. Uh, it was taken down by court order from, I think it was Germany. No, no, no. It was from somewhere. I think it might be Belgium, somewhere like that. Anyway, all of them were from different countries. So she'd have uh, one in Denmark take down um, uh, my Jason, the Jason Bamas, first Jason Bamas interview I give. Um, or, uh, and, and, 
or the Richie Allen show that got taken down as well. And it was obvious that she was not going to let me speak about her out loud. She was going to, she was pushing to have vocal.media, who I was originally writing for, because it's just like a site where you can just publish your own work. Um, but they they kind of uh, work as like they read it and proofread it and make sure it's all right. Um, but they had just started, and before they had floated, they wanted to look independent. They've changed now, of course. They wanted to look independent, so um, they were fight. They was not. They were resisting her calls to have the articles taken down, uh, which was really good. Um, she then got uh, went through the uh, copyright for the photos, tried to say that the photos were all copyright, and issued copyright complaints and and took me to court in multiple countries. I, I the day my cat was dying, twenty twenty, my oldest cat, Carl. Oh, I love that cat. And he was on the floor, literally his last breath coming out. And I received a letter through the door um, informing me from a, a Berlin regional court that uh, I was to pay Nicole Youngkerman's legal fees for her censoring one of my uh, one of my articles uh, somewhere. All of these things were coming in from all sides, all angles, all of the time. I was constantly being, I was, I, I was finding it really hard to get any information out there because it was a, uh, like uh, I was up against a machine. So the only way I, I, I thought to solve this was quite simply um, to explain why Nicole Youngerman made herself look guilty. Because, uh, as you know, she was trying to point at me saying that I'm fake news. Well, she wasn't even pointing at me. She was trying to act like nothing was going on. Uh, she was trying to cover up all the information. If you go on to Google search and uh, type in Nicole Youngkerman, you'll get all of these uh, puff pieces on there. If you type it in in any other search engine, you'll get a load of people saying, have you heard about this Epstein associate nobody's talking about? Yeah. She wasn't only a flirt flying on the Lolita Express and working with Jeffrey Epstein with these senators, but she was also in 2000. 2019 engaged in a um, uh, company with Jeffrey Epstein because uh, Carbine 911 uh, that was funded by um, uh, not only Epstein uh, but also Youngerman, uh, Ekut Barak, who is Epstein's mate, of course, and Peter Thiel, the legendary Peter Thiel. Um, so, so she she went every angle. I thought the only way uh, to do it, I had email exchanges with some people who I think might have been Nicole Youngerman. You know, um, to, she was so disgruntled, so angry. But it was like you keep trying to hide things all the time. Then there's obviously you're trying to hide something. I yeah. mean, it's it's it, and and so the 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 point of the last piece, which was to really note down all the evidence I had found from 1995 when she started to become an elite model, when she was an elite model for elite model firms, the same one as Naomi Campbell and all of the big names. She was like a a top model, and then suddenly she becomes this like super spy working with people who have done Iran Contra stuff. What the hell is going on? You know, it was just such an interesting world. So I went back from 1995 to now. I covered all information I possibly could. Um, I, I've included all the evidence I could. Um, and in it, I basically said, you know, 
you will make yourself look guilty by what you try and hide. People will judge you by that, not by what you show them. She can she keep presenting stuff all she likes, but while people know she's hiding this and hiding that. And I think I know what she wants to hide. There's two things she wants to hide um, that's really that I haven't even fully touched on yet, haven't really fully gone into. And she, if she heard this podcast, she would crap herself because I'm going to say them out loud. Um, the two things are the FIFA corruption. She knows that is still going on today the 2018 and 2020 uh, rights for all of the uh, FIFA World Cup, which accounts now is is billions and billions. That was all uh, stolen and under that original contract of the German FIFA contract for the FIFA World Cup in Germany, the Infront Sport uh, installed Philip Blatter, Sepp Blatter's head of FIFA's uh, nephew in charge so that they could win the contract and write all of the rules for the future of sports broadcasting for the next 20 something years um she that the head of Adidas, the person who owned Adidas, um, uh, Robert Louis Dreyfus, he went to, uh, it got called into German uh, court, like uh, they had German hearings about that deal. Um, and he took all the responsibility because he was dying of cancer at the time. But it, quite simply, all of the people who were there cause have committed billion dollar fraud, billion pound fraud. It's one of the biggest frauds that has ever happened in the history of humankind. And no one even knows knows it really because they don't uh take for um uh the fact that the rights for tv stuff went up for football and soccer tournaments for the world cup went up so massively that now it's billion dollar industry um these people uh hit it all up uh they managed to make all of their money off that that's how nicole money uh, nicole Youngerman made most of her money she does not want that being reviewed that is still going. She does not want that being reviewed. And the second thing she does not want people knowing, the second people she, the second thing she is so completely and utterly terrified of is her family history. So much so that she's now, I believe, by what the evidence I've seen, I've seen lots of it from researching it. She's putting up websites all over the place claiming someone who's not her father is a father with false dates of birth and other false information to try and put people off the trail. Um, because she's so terrified about people finding out who her father and her grandfather was. And and have you been able to ascertain who her father and grandfather is? <laughs> I think so. I got... I, I'm writing a book at the moment, setting a podcast. I, I got to try and sort out my life so I can make some some sort of uh, money because I don't make much money from from this work. This is everything I do in this this realm is like I I, I really don't uh, I I'm I I worked in hotels for about like for five years to support all of this. I've worked in hotels for 20 years of my life, but I've had to work as part-time receptionist so I can write these articles and stuff. I've had to um, uh, take whatever I can um, to be able to keep going. Uh, This, this stuff, I really, really hope I can concentrate on that because yes, I'm pretty positive. I know who her father is. It makes so much more sense how she got into the sports industry.
history for him. And it is a story in itself. And there is a picture somewhere that some people have already come to me with um, showing uh, a man named Yunkerman with a woman and a baby. And the baby isn't Nicole Yunkerman, but the mother is the spitting image of Nicole Yunkerman. It's like you could make a clone of Nicole Yunkerman. And there she is. So uh, the person who I thought it was, is so many con- like extra bits of confirmation. But I have to make sure I have the whole story before yes. I go yes. any further with that. We're at a great, we're at a great breaking point now. Before I go uh, to my little commercial, uh, please, you just talked about how hard it is to put all of this time and energy into investigating things that nobody in the mainstream media is investigating. Most journalists aren't digging to these layers this deep. Can you please share really quick, how can, what is the best way for someone to support your work? Oh, well, I tell you what, you can go to, um, I've, I've, I've been trying to, I've been trying to sort out my life in this extent, uh, to this, uh, to, in this way so you can go to johnnyvedmore.com um and you can uh, support my work there i've got um a uh, a, a, a form where you could either you, you send me crypto or you could pay 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 something by stripe give me a donation at the bottom of the page anyway if you want if you so do choose i'm someone who believes though that really supporting my work is so en- enough if you give me a read give me a share give me a like uh, eventually there's going to be opportunities that come to me that someone's going to help me out who's who's a bit a bit bigger up i have been um i have been brought up in a family that didn't have much money at times i don't live on much i never really ask for much and i always feel bad about asking for stuff so i say if you can do anything you could do anything but please if you need to buy food for yourself buy food for yourself my man i will continue doing this whatever yeah okay and i'm gonna make it real easy for people of course i always put links in the show notes um, at the conservativehippie.com. So if you're seeing this on Odyssey or you're hearing this on your podcast app, go to the conservativehippie.com, find the episode. All of the links right there will will be encased. Um, we're going to go to a commercial, and I I have I, I'm so excited to have you on the line because. I want to get out a lot of these questions I have about a broader perspective that that also requires, when I say broader perspective, it's not just a 90,000-foot view, but it's also going to the depths and detail of what you've been looking into. And I want to ask you those questions next. This is John Devon, The Foundation. I want to encourage you to spread the love and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. We are building this community one person at a time. Hey, have you ever thought about a vaporizer to consume your dry herb? It's the least damaging way to enjoy your flower. A vaporizer takes 99% of the carcinogens out of the smoking process. And I know the perfect vaporizer just for you. Smoke and Jays developed the perfect vaporizer over years of trial and effort. 
click on the link in the show notes. It will take you to the smokinjays.com perfect vaporizer page. And a 15% discount will automatically be applied to your purchase. It's palm size for portability, and it has three different temperature settings to customize your vaporization experience. It truly is the perfect vaporizer. Okay, we're back. And and Johnny, once again, I'm thrilled to speak to you. Uh, we've been chatting via DM for, for some time, but your work is so valuable. It's so intriguing. I just thank you so much for sharing yourself with me and my audience. And, you know, let's the the goal for me is to get people to ask more questions and to dig just dig you may be 10 layers deep i'm just trying to get people to dig one or two layers and eventually yeah. they will fall into this rabbit hole so let let me try to get this out because this world is so complex and what's been uncovered is equally complex and it can get very confusing. And so if we, mm -hmm. if we look at the world in, from, in terms of the technocracy, so you've got your, your corporations <coughs> and you've got your NGOs and you've got these health organizations now set up by Bill Gates. They have created a web across our globe with billions and billions of dollars at the top. And it's almost become this control structure. Well, within that are these characters like the WEF and Klaus Schwab and what uh, my friend Tom Luongo, who Whitney speaks with, calls the Davos crowd. And they're within this, yeah. the, you know, they almost blend with the technocracy with this corporate culture of control. Okay, so now we have this onion, this, this onion of Epstein that was peeled back and exposed to everyone. And I never got into um, the child trafficking nature of it because what fascinated me so much was the business end how he how this man how this mysterious character was behind and participating with so much of this global um, web of NGOs and foundations and then okay yeah. so, so now this is where this is where some of your research and your articles and where I want to grab from you what my friend Tom Luongo never never gets to, and I always try to ask him questions and I push him in this direction because when he talks about the Davos crowd, he almost talks as if that is, you know, this top layer. And I say, there's another layer underneath. They are answering to someone. And the only thing I've, I've been able to glean is that in the British society and in the world, we are taught that these royals are purely um, ornamental in some ways and ceremonial. But in in point of fact, in many ways, the the Queen of England is the largest landowner on the planet. And when I saw your writing of Nicole Junkerman, who you showed uh, not just in this strange anomaly of writing alone with Epstein on the Lolita Express, so what business? were they taking care of at that particular time? But she has these webs, um, uh, kind of like uh, Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, where most people don't know that Ghislaine Maxwell has a sister and the connection to her father. And so now, as mm -hmm. I look at this web, this this uh, corporate, this NGO, this um, um, charity, <laughs> let's all laugh at that, this Davos, <laughs> this Davos crowd, 
intermixed within this, almost like the glue of the spider web, are intelligence services. And it was almost like this character Epstein connected intelligence services to this global web of NGOs. I know I'm going on this long, inquisitive no, rant No, 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 I'm listening. But I really, you know, how can you help me understand as I look at this web and I see the complexity and I see what, what I fear most, and especially this is might be why I turn away from Whitney Webb's reporting because it scares me so much sometimes, is, you know, these intelligence services, uh, MI6 in England, uh, CIA in America, they are supposed to be uh, controlled by the people. They are organizations within our governmental structure. So therefore, the people are the bosses. What I've been able to see and what I'm concerned about is how these intelligence services have broken apart through private contracting and setting up these NGOs and these uh, these these corporate structures have they broken away from we the people and are where are they within this glue this spider web and again who is above them and I don't mean oh Rothschilds and the bankers that's yeah, one yeah. facet of it but if I'm not mistaken, Nicole Yunkerman married somebody, and maybe you can maybe you can draw because you've done so much research with her. Maybe you can help to answer my question of how possibly the royals and the royal families, you know, participate or control or are in this web that I just explained. Yeah, well, it's hard, isn't it? You know, it's hard to see a web that they don't show you a lot of the time. And so a lot of people are just kind of like trudging through all of this massive information and not kind of understanding what the bigger um, picture is. And I think, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, the 60s was a completely, I think, it was a defining uh, moment in how the intelligence services decided to work. Um, and everything that's happening now is still kind of like a rolling consequence of a lot of the things that happened in the 60s, a lot of the ideas that were put forward in the 60s. Remember, um, in the very late 60s, who was uh, teaching Klaus Schwab? Uh, while uh, the the um, moon landings were happening, who was there teaching literally one-on-one, -on -one, person to person, man on man, teaching Klaus Schwab, the eventual octogenarian ruler of the WEF, this globalist society. Was that no, Kissinger? Henry Kissinger. So we've got a route where we could see there's a start there. There was a new idea. We need to change things and we need to change the way um, we we need uh, to act as intelligence agencies because we're heading towards a technological future that's really advanced. In a sense, they were well, uh, they saw that very early on. Now, we skip forward to uh, the, the noughties and everything is out of control. The, the information that they want, these people, once could manage in fantastic ways. They had controls of all. They, they at least had their fingers in the pies of all media institutions, if not were in control of a, a, a fair few. Um, these people were controlling the narrative, were keeping everything uh, going. 
all of the the stuff we saw under Reagan, uh, Bush, uh, Clinton, um, and the start of the other Bush, these were all uh, intelligence-led uh, and in it, kind of like it, it, not only intelligence-led but inspired by this old school idea of what these intelligence agencies were by the people who were in power who had helped to create them, uh, who were all links with all different societies all over the place. But this this thing went messy because when the internet came out, when they had reached their technological point where they, they oh, look at us, we're, we're, we're getting there, we're nearly a, a, a transhumanist destination or whatever destination these guys have, which most of them are about trying to live forever. When this happened, everything broke down with the internet because everybody could talk. And since then, they've been really, really scrambling to, uh, I would say, reform. Not not to uh, not to change too much. Their tactics underneath and the people who are doing these things, their underlying um, ethics and morals, if they have any ethics or morals, um, those are still basically the same as they were probably uh, in the 60s and the 70s. You know, these intelligence agencies, they have this, this uh, idea that they're the good ones, they're defending the country, everybody who works for them feels like they can do all of these naughty things and break the laws, uh, break the rules because they're doing it for their countries, etc. Well, now we've progressed in society to the point where these people have to now say, okay, we, we can't stay hidden. And if we are found out, it goes back to MI6, it goes back to GCHQ, it goes back to the NSA or the CIA. And then accountability is asked for. And we've got to cut away the ability for people to uh, claim accountability, claim us to be accountable for our illegal actions. So the intelligence agencies know they've got to sever that ability for the public to hold them to account, and that's why it all went private. I mean, it start, I, 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 would, I would say it was around the time of uh, Libya that everything started to go private. Um, and it had already been going that way, but intelligence uh, agents who I've followed in certain works, like in the Sergei Skripal case, Christopher Steele, he was uh, he was the guy who linked the dodgy uh, Trump dossier, uh, the one about the P tapes and all of that. Yeah. Christopher Steele was um, uh, MI6 agent. He was the handler for the person called um, Pablo Miller, who uh, he was the handler for Pablo Miller, who was the handler for Sergei Skripal, who was the Russian who was a uh, double agent, some say triple, um, and was poisoned in Salisbury about uh, five ten years back or whatever five five years back um these people were all uh still doing intelligence operations but they're doing them out in the open and under the guise of private companies because christopher Steele is working for a private security firm he owns his own private security firm he's never stopped being in espionage. He's never stopped working for MI5 or the like. Once you're CIA, you're CIA for life. Well, you know, these people, they know that they are signing up for something that goes for a long term. But the public are so naive. They're so able to accept that someone can maybe change their ways or change their brand and suddenly they're a whole different um, ethical, they work under a whole different ethical and moral basis or uh, with a different uh, rules than they did before and they never do the 
same things they did before. But these people do. And Christopher Steele is a good example because, I mean, he's he may look like uh, he's out there um, giving a, a, a advice to the, uh, uh, the the world about Trump. and it, But all of that was made up stuff. These people are trying to uh, undermine the democracy that they're supposed to be protecting, undermine the people, undermine um, the uh, – they're trying to undermine the progress we're making on accountability. And yes. that's the big thing. They're trying to uh, take away um, their responsibility so that they can, can – and they do. They do. These people are almost untouchable. You know, the 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 fact that Epstein got arrested is just like – it seems like a miracle. It seems like a miracle. Why, who, who ordered that? Who said yes to that the second time? You know, who said yes to that? Who said, okay, let's put him in, in put him for a court process? Who said that? It's got to be, in my opinion, it's got to be for for access to him, so they can gain access to him, um, so that he could eventually uh, go that way. And I think Maxwell is probably the same. But when you talk about Maxwell's sister, you're talking. Maxwell's sisters, Maxwell's brothers. You're talking uh, a family that was purpose, purposely bred to be powerful. So every member has a different like talent, different skill. And while we all look at Ghislaine, she's probably the one who's committing the least crimes out of the Maxwell family compared to some of the other ones. Because some of the other ones are just they are fronts for intelligence agencies, and they, we are still we are still giving the same people who we're also putting in court at the same time the 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 responsibility for our societies and our democracies, if democracies even exist anymore. It's it's a scary thought. It's an absolute scary thought. So. Um, who did who did Nicole Yunkerman marry, and how does that ah, how does yeah. that how does that factor in? And and you know it is a wild theory of mine, right? I'm always trying to dig and figure out the top of the pyramid and the layers and who's controlling what. Mm-hmm. Is this just a a while and out um, 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 battle between intelligence agencies and private contractors to bilk and launder as much money as possible, or is there some sort of coordinated control and and um, you know who's given the instructions? Yeah, coordinated control. There's definitely some of that going on. Um, how? How? how the, the story of how um, uh, Nicole Youngkerman, now Countess Brachetti Peretti, um, uh, met her husband Ferdinando Brachetti Peretti is. Um, it, it, it says that he he met her at a hotel in. Switzerland or something and then they met again there and he was she was supposed to have rung him and he never she never rung so he asked her why and then she said you were a naughty little girl or something like that and that charmed her and then it was pictures in the Italian papers of of uh, the famous Ferdinando Brachetti Peretti who's um, one of the heads along with his brother Ugo of um, API Oil which is a big uh, Italian oil company um, their family is one of prestige they have like uh they the um ferdinando's mother was the only woman in italian history to be made like a general or something along those lines uh the father was extremely uh wealthy guy oil baron of course um his sister uh um elsa peretti i think her name is uh she was the one who invented tiffany's in New York, 
she was part of the Studio 54 scene. Uh, she left the family behind and went under just the name Peretti rather than Brachetti Peretti, which was, I think, Brachetti Peretti was uh, the Peretti family joining with the Brachetti family. The Brachetti family were the one where the mother was, um, who was a general, was was off the line. These people are, um, uh, oh, they are connected. They are in all sorts of clubs, all sorts of organizations. I'm trying to remember if they're, is it the Knights of uh, Malta? They are. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they, they go, they go, uh, round representing uh, as the Knights of Malta. I think there's a variation of this. Two types is is they're both secret secret societies that date back thousands of years. But it's like the Knights of Malta or the Malta Knights or something like that. But they are the, the, the like real deal, like it's, it's a fairly hidden secret society. Um, and and he seems like a really interesting guy. He can walk around and Ferdinando, he's a, he's a charmer. He can go around and um, and do whatever he likes. Uh, his brother Ugo seems the one who's more likely to sway into politics. He was when Trump, uh, and it wasn't Trump actually. It was I, I'm misremembering this. It was Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon did a um, speech over in Italy when they were trying to elect Trump, and um, he was doing something to get funding from some Italian donors and Ugo Bocchetti Peretti was there meeting them as well because he's very much on that side of the politics but in Italy um, these guys they have they are very hidden hand Garibaldi weddings who's uh, like the royal family of Italy and from the past um, these guys will be uh, some of the first people into the Garibaldi weddings these are like uh, high uh, echelon counts from the past why and how? I think maybe maybe it's just Nicole Youngkerman's um, uh, likes and what she enjoys doing align well with Ferdinando. Um, I, I, I'm I'm not quite sure, uh, but they do seem to have a lot in common, especially with an art. And I always it always makes me when 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 people who are involved in things like espionage and potentially other crimes hang around with uh, child traffickers and money launderers and the like. When they start selling art, quite rubbish art at really high prices, it always makes me suspicious that there's other things going on. Uh, they, 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 they're very, they seem like a very happy couple. Um, they have a little child. Uh, they, they had their child um, uh, baptized in the Vatican. So you're not talking, you're talking <laughs> the main church in the Vatican by one of the main top cardinals. So like the idea that these guys are, are like normal in any way, these are chosen. These guys, they choose each other. Um, they're already in charge. They're already at the top. And if you don't fit the bill, you're not coming in. And Nicole Youngkerman, I think she had put in enough work. She had put in enough graft um she she hasn't really got a, a royal dynasty she's not from a royal dynasty or anything um but she is from uh, a very loyal family and i would consider that they have good breeding because she was a, considered a supermodel and so that would be something that maybe Ferdinando Brachetti Peretti was attracted to as well well not just that uh she's she's highly intelligent you've told the story of yeah. where she she drops Ooh. being the supermodel and she goes and gets some phd's and and she's got you know all these degrees she seems highly no, she intelligent yeah, she's get I mean the, the 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 lady gets one or two legs up and I think she hides a lot of 
a lot of the help that she got when she was very young. I think she hides that by not saying who her family was and where she was. Because remember, she went to uh, Monte Carlo, Monaco University. So Monte Carlo, uh, you don't go yes. there. With, <laughs> I, I, I went to. I went to Monte Carlo once. A very rich guy who owns a, a games company called Splash Damage. I was I was going out with his sister-in-law, and they said, "Oh, come on over, look after the baby for one day, and stay for seven days in in like this swanky hotel." In, in, and the world over there is completely different. It made me feel sick, to be perfectly honest. It was like it was like every second car is a Ferrari or a Bugatti. Um, everybody looks down their nose at everybody, even though they're all ultra rich, and and then. Oh, oh my god it's so fake it's it's impossible to see it's another link to the garibaldis as well because the garibaldi family i believe owned uh monte carlo that's why it got its independence so the italian family owned it the royal family of italy um so her go she went there she don't you don't go there unless you've already got a little bit of privilege You've yeah. already got some money, you know. Her her story isn't about coming up as a being found as a supermodel and then becoming extremely high um, successful. She's from uh, a, a clever line. She had help beforehand, but her intelligence and her abilities cannot be underestimated. Uh, Nicole Youngerman is um, a character for sure. She is one of the most intelligent women I think I've I've ever come across, and fantastic. Uh, changing her image or creating an image um i don't think i've done any help uh for her on that and and for that yes she she wishes me gone um but she is an impressive lady and i can be impressed by the fact that she's lived and loved and you know except for hanging around with a pedophile, a supposed billionaire pedophile, and hanging around at Wexner Mansions and with some really notoriously being in business with Ekut Barak and uh, all of the fraud and corruption and all of these different things. She seems like a very nice lady. (laughs) That's the best line. Okay, let me try. (laughs) I know I only have you for a little bit longer. Let me try to get one little... um, uh, angle in and and get your uh, get your feel of it. So uh, a lot of people like to say, "Oh, these uh, child pedophile rings, um, that's just ridiculous." At the top, that's conspiracy theory from these Q nuts and whatnot. Whereas in jail right now in Canada is Peter Nygaard, who had uh, a fashion empire. We've seen Les Wexner, okay, so creator of Victoria's Secret. We've seen his connection, uh, whether he's the benefactor or whether whatever his relationship with Epstein, it was definitely there. And we see this. The other way that Nicole Yunkerman kind of fits into this overall investigative journey that we're all on is that she gives us a window into this supermodel life where we see, or Naomi Campbell, as you brought up, where where yeah. some of them rise to the top and how many of them are used up and chewed up along this journey. Um, and, and Les Wexner, he's kind of... 
he's kind of avoided all uh, legal liability with his surroundings of Epstein. But there is something about this fashion industry, if you will, that is tied to intelligence, that is tied to this web of uh, that, that, that circles our globe as a system of control through all of these organizations. So how can you speak to that angle, where it's, whether it's the Nygaard or the Wexner and, or, and Nicole Yunkerman being this model that, that broke through, rise, rose to the top, and Epstein, the way he used models and used that angle of modeling? Okay, I, I, I would say the best way to um, approach it is to look at everybody as look at everything as commodities. Um, when you're working with psychopaths and narcissists in any way, whether they be rich ones, whether they be poor ones, uh, or, or middle ground, uh, whatever happens, they're all going to have um, they're all going to have this. Um, I'm lost my train of thought there. Sorry, give That's me a right. Sec. Uh, they're looking always look at it from the lens of a commodity. So oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, um, if you want to buy drugs, if you want to sell drugs, what do you need? You need cash, you need guns, or you need people. Those are the commodities. Uh, that's the reality. If people think it's only cash that people buy drugs or guns with, or or buy privilege and power with, then they're only living in their world where cash is the only thing they can use. Because that's a real simplistic thought. The fact is, is that everything to a narcissist or a psychopath, however rich you are, is a commodity. Everything from people to money to drugs to all the other things. So these kids um, who have been caught up in all of these, uh, these kids were treated as a commodity um, because there is a, 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 a prevalence within um, our humankind to have people who are psychopaths who are usually uh, attracted to something that we would uh, have years ago seen as deviant sex uh, and then there's others who are definitely into deviant sex so you know there's a lot of these people uh, who are psychopathic they're more likely to become uh, uh, dangerous people to work in dangerous areas and so you're more likely to come across them as being all working together in the same place because they're, they're, they're going to be defending each other and working together and they both, they've both they all got the same interests and business interests. So all of these people end up, uh, you will have more percentage than normal of psychopaths and pedophiles, rapists and people who use humans as a commodity. So I think all of these people, all of these people have um, been caught up in that trap of buying or selling their favorite commodity, um, whether it be uh, a child or whether it be money, because this is the reality of things is that these people, what's good money to them? They got more and more money. What's good is uh, property or anything else to them. What they want is experience that they can't buy anywhere else. And if they're already psychopaths and narcissists, they want something that's going to give them that feeling of power. And there is a base way to get that one human from another human. We know it. It's rape, it's torture, it's murder, it's abuse. It's all of those things that give people some form of feeling of psychological power. That's all of these people have left to buy. 
They don't have anything left to buy when it comes to property or anything like this. They don't care about a lot of the things. So that's why I think a lot of that exists within it. Um, that's why supermodels are so easy uh, to manipulate a lot of the time and why I think a lot of them were involved in this is because they themselves treated themselves as commodities, sold themselves as image, sold themselves as all of these things. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them didn't mind, you know, getting dirty and 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 sleeping with the right person or, or hanging out with the right person. Others then got offered even further because some would have been offered like Naomi Campbell. What's she doing? You remember the Blood Diamond case where she she was in court about being in uh, somewhere like the Ivory Coast and she had a Blood Diamond that she had got given as a present while she was hanging around with the dictator of the Ivory Coast. <laughs> it's like that these sort of stories when people tell me it's like oh yeah that's normal thing for models to do no it doesn't make any sense as a person though as a person unless you're that type of person that you hang around with those types of people who have blood diamonds to give um and these these people see themselves as commodities models a lot of the time see themselves as okay i'm selling this i'm selling this look i'm selling my and it goes further if they're willing to to even go further than that you if you're being paid hundreds, thousands, uh, thousands to millions, you'll do almost anything if you've got that personality to do almost anything. And these people, uh, they're, com they're commodities. Like the tools, like the, how they treat other people as commodities, they treat themselves also, I think, in that same sense. So they just, some people just get involved. Man. All right. And I, I talked about trying to trying to get away from the depression and the negativity. <laughs> and and it, and it all comes down to that, that that psychological nature. And, and that's what we're up against. I think it I think it does come down to the fact that some people are good and some people are bad. And whether you dress it up in a religious context or you dress it up as ethics or morals or uh, the standards of what someone someone expects in the world or what we expect of others. Some people are bad and some people are good. It will always come down to that. And it, to, to complicate it and everything, well, we can do that till the cows come home, as they say over here, but we're not going to get anywhere with it. Some people are bad. Yeah, yeah. All right. Johnny, I... Again, I thank you so much. I, I wasn't I wasn't bullshitting in the beginning when I said, you know, if I can think of five people that I would like to interview, um, you were you were in the top five, and I'm so blessed. So thank you, thank you. I, I'm I, so I feel, blessed I that that I have this podcast, and this podcast allows me to reach out to the people that I find most interesting and that I want to learn more about. And I hope that the listener. Uh, was able to learn more about you. Uh, once again, the link uh, is in the show notes, and go to johnnyvendmore.com. Um, what's your What's your Twitter handle? What's your at? Uh, Johnny Vedmore. So it's 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 pretty easy. It's spelled V D M O R E. Uh, that my, everybody pronounces my last name wrong. So, uh, but but uh, yeah, Johnny Vedmore. I go by my own name for everything. I, I've decided it's got to be it's got to be my name or nothing. You know, I'm not gonna. Have 
hide who I am. So any way you want to go, uh, whether it, it, to find me, just type it in. Uh, best to go to DuckDuckGo if you want to find all the information. Oh, I've I've even found difficulty with DuckDuckGo. I, I yeah, sometimes it's, it's getting there. Sometimes I go to Yandex. <laughs> I feel like I'm out on the out on the dark web going to Yandex yeah. to search things. Um, and I'm sorry about that. Vedmore, Vedmore, Johnny Vedmore. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's a it's, it's a regular thing. Vedmore. Yeah, it's a rare name as well. Not many around. Well, well, cheers to you, and thank you for coming on the show. A pleasure. Thank you for having me, my friend. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.